0: Welcome to The Crone's Porch, magic, bitchcraft, and a liminal approach to paganism. This is your grandmother's podcast.
1: Content warning, we use colorful language, lots of complaining, and general curmudgeonry. These opinions are our own, which we express as individuals following a crone path. This week on episode five, we talk about our ritual materials and altars, um, and and really go deep into that. We also have a bitchcraft about appropriation, and celebrate the crone of the month in Marth and Wicht. Hi, Ian. Hi, Colin. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I have recently moved uh, but 20 minutes outside of where I used to live, but into a more adult and weird artsy apartment. I feel real adulting rather than living by students. So uh, that's my life right now. How are you?
1: That's very exciting. Um, I'm doing all right. I am starting to really get down some some real personal journeys in terms of... uh, you know, self-discovery in my pagan practice in, 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 you know, really having some internal conversations about race and um, finally making some, some headway on some, some, some mental health issues. So, you know, difficulties are there, but it's, it's momentum and momentum is good.
0: It's yeah, uh, definitely. Especially in this time, any growth is <laughs>
1: nice and positive. Did you get your diplomas in the mail? I did get my diploma um by the by the grace and authority vested in Binghamton University, I now hold a piece of paper that says I earned my master's degree.
0: Yeah, my I mean, mine went to my parents' house, which is odd because that wasn't the address listed on my profile. But <laughs> I also have my diplomas, and it feels nice to know it's uh, all official and that I didn't miss a a form or uh, a surprise uh, failure somewhere in there, especially amidst a uh, coronavirus. <laughs> Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. No ooh, ooh. positive growth. That's good. It's <laughs> it's, all, it's good. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. All um, right. But we should probably get stuck in.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Colin, uh, what's what's what, what we drinking?
1: Uh, well, I am drinking a non-spawn 1911 rosé, which was on st- sale at the supermarket. Oh, um, fancy! It's quite nice. How about you? What you I doing? am
0: drinking? Red Apple Bombshell, uh, which is one of my uh surprisingly one of my favorite brands um also non-spawn i found it it's it's brewed in geneva so also local to new york um but it was one of the first ciders that i bought that was not you know angry orchard or any of the, the main <laughs> the main brands because it was fancy in like a four quad can configuration and it's good it's raspberry so
1: that's lovely you... We seem to have our our theme is is we drink the apples. We are Avalon drinkers. Um, that's
0: okay. <laughs> I'm proud of that's that. That's
1: great. So, um, one for you, one for me, and one for the old crones. Cheers. Cheers
0: on, and clink.
1: Clink indeed. Mm. That's quite nice.
0: Yeah. So, uh, this is episode five. I think I said it was episode five last episode, <laughs> but <laughs> this is actually episode five. And uh, it feels cool that we've been doing this for now about five months, almost yeah, half a year. It's,
1: it's, it, it it means that our, you know, Lunasa will mark a, a big, big things for us. Not only do we love it and we've gushed about it before, but it will also mark a kind of our six month anniversary of podcasting, which is exciting. Very, very exciting.
0: <laughs> I know. It's really cool. I've always wanted to do a podcast, never knew what about, and I knew I didn't want to do it by myself. Because I hate talking to myself, it makes me feel crazy. But uh, this is a thing I've always wanted to do, so it's like really cool to actually do it about a thing I care about and actually with someone I care about. <laughs> so, oh,
1: I care yeah. about you too, friend. And this is this has been this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, and I think that with Munasa we should throw in set aside some time for kind of a. A background on the podcast you know a peek behind the curtain of how and why and where and when we started
0: yeah our podcast
1: but yeah. we'll save that for then yeah and, we definitely um...
0: need to do an origin story episode we've talked about like why this podcast a little bit but we've never done our exact origin stories of how we got onto you know pagan paths and you know why our particular paths
1: So yeah, everybody keep their eyes out for our Lunasa special, because it's probably going to be a longer than usual and have some extra segments where you might hear this awesome information. (laughs) Also, if you have any ideas or anything you'd like to hear on the podcast, please drop a comment at our social media or through our email. Contact details at the end of the show as usual, but we'd really love to hear from you and we'd love for you to have an impact on our content. So... (laughs) With that sort of, you know, pandering out in the open, some transparency, (laughs) shall we talk about what we talk about today?
0: Yeah, let's jump into our main topic. So this episode, we're talking about altars. And again, full transparency, I'm moving. And uh, this is probably one of the, for the first time in, I think the entire time I've lived on my own the first time I'll not be living as a student or like in some part being a student. Uh, so a le- much less transient lifestyle. Like I will know we'll be here for not that long, but still much longer than we've been in other places. So this is the first time I've ever had roots in a spot. And so I've been super into altars, building, building altars, building stable, you know, root based altars, and so that's uh, that's why I wanted to talk about it this episode cuz it's like a thing happening in my life.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's exciting. I've I've always been fascinated by altars of all kinds, not just of the pagan variety, but um I was I was raised Roman Catholic, so altars played a big part there. I was a Buddhist for a short time and altars, you know, were very interesting in that in that background. Um I have a small one, but I've never really actually built something that I would consider a full altar because uh like ian has mentioned i too have been a student for quite a while and i haven't had the the space or resources to do so but i have done some studying so we can we can bring what we've got to the fore and this oh, will yeah. kind of be almost like a our, our our sort of interior design episode where we go for the <laughs> ideal and it'll maybe give us some ideas for our real lives Yeah, so, I
0: mean, let's begin with like, what is an altar? Um, So Colin, do you have any historical perspectives on like where altars come from and sort of their place?
1: Well, from my knowledge of ritual belief and the like, um, an altar doesn't necessarily have to be one thing. Often what people think of and what the archetypical idea is is a some sort of table like um, object that is used in or as a consecrated space so considered sacred and separated Mm. from other spaces so for example your dinner table could be an altar Mm. but it depends on how you're using it because when you're eating on it unless it's for ritual purpose it's probably not an altar but if you're using it for a ritual or religious purpose, then the table can become an altar. And in that instance, it becomes a sacred space that it isn't necessarily when you're eating. However, okay. that the, the, the line is a little bit loosey-goosey. It depends on your cultural <laughs> heritage and beliefs and what's going on um, and what you also consider sacred versus not sacred or what actions can desecrate or consecrate. So mm-hmm. for some cultures, like, uh, let's say, so... Um, there's actually a really interesting narrative. I don't know how accurate or true it is because it's so long in the past, and the Romans really liked to, you know, write shit down and make shit up. Um, <laughs> was that 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 Hannibal of of um of acclaim? You know, the general who who really thrashed the Roman Republic in the uh, in the Punic Wars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So an apocryphal story was that his father um sacrificed an ox on an altar and let the blood and bones go into a bowl which he then shoved hannibal's hands in that kind of trying to bring him to be an adult um and in this case the idea of being a man and a warrior of someone whose hands are 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 in blood and therefore can draw blood Uh have that strength Um, so, but for other people that, that, that sort of ritual sacrifice and blood being put on an altar may actually desecrate it and make it less sacred. Okay. So these, I, these ideas, as I'll say, my opinion is that an altar is any space that is used for ritual religious purposes in the material aspect. So it could be a table, it could be a chair, it could be a shrub. (laughs) It's about, it's about ritual self-definition.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with that. So um, in the way that I was not raised because she's not my mother, but in the way that Mary trained me in the kind of periphery skills of this practice, yeah, it was kind of as loose as that. Your altar might be a stump that exists outside your house that you've just done some work on to set intention to it might be a chair that you have it could be a table large or small and it's more about the objects and the intentions you put on it which has been a lot of the reason that i've always not stayed away from uh altars but never really put the time or effort into making one because i was living such a transient lifestyle i didn't think i could build such an intentioned space without having and that's for my own personal practice i i need i would need to leave that somewhere solid where it can stay and be and not have to pack it up every so often because it for me that that pack up is in a way cleansing the space of its purpose and you'd have to lay it out and re redo it so i've stayed away a lot from building altars. is it do you have uh, like any any personal definitions that you use for like what you use as an altar?
1: Um, so the answer for me is twofold because I have what I would call my early unintentional altars mm-hmm. and then my very intentional altar laid late, later on as I've developed my practice. So early on, when I was at Stony Brook, um, there was this cement slab out in, in a wooded area uh, near where I, my, my apartment was there that lots of people used for lots of purposes. But that is where I had one of my really early experiences of be, of, of getting an answer to my, my paganism. Um, I got actually um, some, some um, what, w- what would the term be? Um, smell hallucinations. Um, from Mananon Mclear. I in the middle of nowhere, I got the smell of apples as I was working with Monanon. And as the King of Avalon, the Isle of Apples, it made sense. Yeah. But so this slab, as well as a different rock out in the woods in another place, um sort of became my altars because I didn't necessarily think of them as altars, but I continued to go back to them to do ritual.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so for me, even though I was rootless, it was more about places of repetition. Whereas now there's not only the repetition, but the intention of I've created, I've taken a, a sort of full folding picnic table, low picnic table, my great uncle built, um, and I've put a cloth over it and set up all my objects in a way that I like. And so not only do I use it over and over again, I have it set up in a very specific way. So for me, those are the, are the approaches that I've had. Do you have specific um, examples or approaches to altars that you have experienced?
0: Uh, yeah, so I would agree with the, the repetition. Um, and that's, again, part of the reason why I haven't done it. I've done ritual in so many varied places that are either owned by other people, so doing it um, at our mentor's property. that Those are her spaces um, and her altars, so definitely not my own. Um, or doing them on campus in some of the other spaces. So, But that repetition is very much always been a part of you know what do you go back to do you go back to a certain setup you know do you go back to a specific pattern for your candles do you go back to using a specific cloth a specific candle holder you know all that that repetitious type of behavior which i guess leads to uh, you know do altars have to be these well thought out elaborate pieces of like furniture I would say no I don't think so um, I agree
1: with you I would say I would say no
0: yeah but I would say that for me I want that so like the broad answer no that doesn't have to be an alter but I want mine to be specific well-intentioned placement of objects that may be changes to suit different purposes but that is um, founded well developed and thought out so like I do want that for me I want that
1: for me I want that too I would say that it that for me it again there's two different answers because i think that an altar can be any space that you want to use and it doesn't have to be permanent for me mm-hmm. i think of that permanent hyper intentional altar as a, as a as a ritual tool in and of itself that can focus my intent and practice in a way that a perhaps a more temporary altar couldn't mm-hmm. so i think it's just a different of a difference of investment they're both altars, but one it has a very, very specific effect on my practice in terms of acting as almost like a multiplier of Yeah.
0: Of my yeah, definitely. And I think that's why I want one. So uh in practicing with Mary, one of the big things that she left us with is um you have your general purpose altars, you know, what I think uh, if listeners are familiar or have any Catholic background, like your church altar, it's kind of used for all the stuff. Um like a Catholic church. Uh, So it's used for all the stuff, but then you have really specific altars. And the one I've always wanted to build is just never, I've never had the right objects for, uh, to funnel the purpose is I've always wanted to do an ancestor altar, like something dedicated to personal ancestor work. I just never had the stuff. I haven't had many family heirlooms to, pass around i don't have there's there's not much again being a part of this culture we call american my family never kept um cultural heritage items beyond very small objects so i've worked a lot to collect those over the years i think i have and just enough to start one which is kind of exciting but i really want like a well-intentioned specifically ancestral altar to begin to honor and practice with ancestors
1: which is yeah that's a really awesome idea and setup that you could do which also kind of transfers us to from we've kind of gone over the what but what is the how of 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 making (laughs) an altar so for you ian how how does that process work how does it look like
0: Uh, okay so for me the the way i have been i guess trained in doing it is one you just need the surface and that can be a wide variety: of tables, um, folding, low, huge, small. Um, that's kind of what most people are typical. And I, 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 like that archetype largely just because it's a really solid visualization for work surface. Like, it really hits that on the head, so it gets you into a a mindset of practice. But it also can be a spot on the ground, a tree stump, all of that type of stuff. And then it's the all the objects you put on it um, things that funnel and focus your work whatever that means for your practice so an ancestor altar as an example utilizes ancestral pieces so that might be family heirlooms that might be photos that might be ancestral food that might be um, ancestral work objects like it could be you might have a knife that is just kind of a cake knife (laughs) <laughs> a lot of uh, my family has a, there are a couple, you know, cake serving implements or cake pedestals that get passed down uh, for generations and generations. Um, so like those objects funnel the purpose because what, what Mary trained us on doing was when you sit down, the objects and the settings should automatically focus your work. It, it, again, it's a tool. Like you said, when you sit down in front of that altar, you should automatically be focused in on doing the work that the altar presents to you. So that's my process. you have a, any specific process that you go through for creating altars?
1: Um, For the most part, my process is identical to yours. I will say that I make a very strong intention just because I have such a deity focus in my practice that I put objects that I associate with deities that I work with on my altar very specifically so that 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 energy can sort of exist there. So for example, I have a, a plastic sword on there which kind of has been part of not only warrior spirit, but my connection to Nawada, a wooden spear that I whittled with, for, for Lou, a cauldron for Corridwen and the Dagda, um, wine bottles that I've, that I've emptied the contents of as, as, as sacrifices to the Morrigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- these types of things, I've chosen the items very specifically to keep a certain energy around and also just because i think it looks cool and that sort of yeah. that sort of uh, innate connection and and feeling of specialness i think is really important yeah but like, otherwise i would say it's <laughs> almost identical
0: yeah I, I mean we should say uh, again rich ritual spaces and altars can be whatever you want them to be um it should be a lot about what fuels your practice and gets you in the practicing mood but i'm with you there's something like I love, partially I love religi- religious practice for the aesthetics of it. There's something like, churches are beautiful, and they put people automatically into they a are. frame of, of uh, faith practice. I think we can have that, like, just because it, it's a small bitchcraft, but we have an actual bitchcraft seven, but small bitchcraft is that uh, just because we're pagan faith doesn't mean we have to do everything so natural and, you know, off the beaten path and, like, no trace type of mindset we can build beautiful religious spaces that are just pretty to damn look at (laughs) that fuel us to practice yeah yeah and small rant
1: (laughs) and that's and that it and it's and it's not and it's not just you know it's not just limited to to christianity that has those spaces almost every faith group has had those spaces like mosques are as pretty as as churches and there are many synagogues that are are just as pretty as churches and what do you think you know stone circles in the british isles were for or you know, no wooded groves in across europe temples Uh in the roman empire and across india um or japan and china all these places these sorts of special spaces are in their own way altars they had been intentionally constructed to create a sacred space that gets you in the mindset and the mood to do your religious practice with some very specially selected items Mm. to create that sort of feeling that we've been discussing so there's there's nothing you know there's nothing wrong with doing these things and it doesn't make you less pagan to say well you know what i really like the way that church looks maybe i I could add that to my own practice in some way. Like if you like stained glass, for example, it's a very Christian thing to do, but there are plenty of stained glasses of pagan gods that you can hang on your wall in front of your altar, for example, you know, oh, yeah. or on your window. Mm-hmm.
0: And again, it's so really just it's, it's about, about what's special. Yeah. It's about what's special and what about fuels you to practice. But people like some people are like, well, why altars, you know, why, why build them? And I think it's, it's it's nice to have a space that is pre-cleansed. Like, cleansing does take a lot of effort and a lot of energy, and setting up ritual space takes a lot of work and a lot of energy. Like we talk about, casting a circle is tiring. It's so tiring to cast a circle it is. constantly. It's hella fun, though. <laughs> it's hella fun, and it's good with the group. But it's also be nice to be able to sit down in a space that's already pre-cast, that's already yes. pre-set up, that you can literally just sit down and automatically go into into practice into intentioned practice like if i want to do ritual or ancestor work i want to be able to sit down in front of my ancestor altar and automatically be in the mindset because it's already built to be in the mind for me to be in the mindset
1: absolutely and i think this is this really also covers the why which is another another point we want to to hit on is all these all these things are really interconnected and it doesn't have to look like one thing so for example oh, yeah. my very my very you know gaelic approach to my paganism doesn't necessarily mean my altar reflects mm-hmm. historic or ahistoric views on that tradition it just what works for me
0: hell yeah that's a great point your altar, like and this is <laughs> keep stepping up on my soapbox your altar should reflect your practice you as a person, so it doesn't matter if you are a registered member of of ADF. You if you don't want your personal altar to match an ADF traditional altar, go right ahead. It's your personal altar. Obviously, if you're part of larger practices, there is some uh, compromise and mutual collaboration and creation. But uh, it should reflect either the community or the person in the practice. So if you love stained glass, or you love video games. Like your altar can be your video game console. I've seen that. That's cool. Absolutely. People make them in Minecraft. Absolutely, that's
1: a really that's which is a really cool thing to do. Um, which which brings up another great point of altars don't have to be purely personal. You can collaborate with a community to create an altar that works for everybody. Um, yeah. even if it's just temporary. Like if you're all celebrating a a, um, a holiday together, you could create a temporary altar together that really reflects everyone's participation and best and best feeling. Oh, that's such a good and,
0: idea. I'm taking that to the student group. <laughs> They're going to make an altar which, together.
1: Which also brings in the challenges and I think we can move on to segue towards like examples and considerations which brings in the additional challenge of not everyone's going to agree on everything. So if you collaborate on an altar there will probably be points of challenge just as much as there are points of synchronicity, which I think adds a really cool aspect because then you all have to work through it. You don't get to just ignore everything. You have to work through those, whatever tensions exist. And that's important too.
0: Mm -hmm. I also think another consideration is, I think if you're interested in building an altar, you need to have a really honest conversation about how much money you can and are willing to spend. (laughs) That's just a part of it, Uh, especially for such a physical piece of uh experience um so if you have a particular piece of you know an object that you you want in your on your altar um and it's just constantly calling out to you like you know those resin statues can that you see all over the internet can you know range between 50 and 80 bucks but if that's something you need on your altar you know i encourage you to spend Ah, uh, your money, but then be mindful that you might not be able to get uh, the athame or the crystal ball or the altar cloth. Like you'll have to think financially about what you want to spend your money on in the time you want to spend it.
1: Absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with with using substitutes until you can have Ooh, exactly yeah. what you want. Um, and you may even find that there's something that you that you really want. Like I, I love those statues with oh, all my really heart. Oh, they're really pretty. I, I absolutely love them and I would love to have some but on the other hand most of them in terms of the the deities that I work with don't really reflect my image or understanding of those deities mm-hmm. so I've actually found in my own practices that I think I might actually try to make my own um, representations. I'm no, I'm no sculptor by any means so it'll have to be some alternative but I think it's a It'll it'll be better for my work in the long run. So even if you want something, you may also find that your substitute will be even better. So there's no shame in experimenting with what works on your altar.
0: Hell yeah, experiment. <laughs>
1: All right. But but some people you know really really love to get into they 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 make their altar a form of art in and of itself, like changing it for each each season. So some people will do it yes. with the wheel of the year that for each Stage in the wheel of the year, they will have some difference in their altar. Um, the ones that I've seen that I absolutely love and would love to do someday is where they take some form of what's going on in nature around them and put it on the altar. So if it's uh, like um, like Imuk time, you can have like holly with its red berries, or around Salwin, like the changing leaf color. You know, like the mm-hmm. oranges and the reds of changing leaves in places. If you live in a place where that sort of foliage change happens, uh, yeah. Um, or cornucopias and the like. So mm-hmm. I'm really into that sort of cyclical, seasonal altar situation. I just can't afford to do it right now. Yeah,
0: I think one of my favorite altars that I've seen, um, it was like on an Instagram that I just, like, came across one of my social media platforms. Um, and this couple had created basically a couple's altar. I would like, they use it for mutual practice, but it combines like the deities that they both work with, but intertwined not to say that their deities are intertwined because of them, but because they practice together these, like, I can't remember. I think they were Hellenic deities. So I think one was Persephone and one was uh, the, the, the off the top of my head. I can't remember, maybe Dionysus or something, but like they weaved in the motifs and the aesthetics and the, you know, their flowers. And if there were berries or beverages, like they weave them together so that they were, Um, fully interconnected not just like half and half it was really pretty and it it was a it was a cute message because it was like about them intertwining their life and their practice together And i was like that's a cute idea that'd be fun
1: that is a really cute idea i like that um and and there's a whole range of ideas that um you can go with and it might be good of us right now is to just throw out some ideas of things we like or things that we have seen. I don't know how you feel about that.
0: Yeah. Start. <laughs> you got any examples off um, the top of your
1: head? Well, yeah, I absolutely do. Something I like, but it it requires some internal conversation about ethical sourcing for me is bones, especially like antlers. Oh, so yeah. for the for the deities that I work with, antlers are a big are a really big deal, like deer antlers, mm-hmm. um, stag antlers. And so I'd love to have some um on my altar i i do sometimes have to take a step back and be like how am i sourcing this uh because it's really hard to find them in the wild uh fun biology fact antlers that are either sloughed off or left um left behind after a deer has died are generally eaten by rodents who get the calcium oh, from uh, it so okay. they're incredibly hard to find that's why it's you don't generally find them just in the woods randomly um mm-hmm. uh, so depending on your your how you feel about it, I think bones and antlers are a cool thing to have if they really sync with you. Do you have an example of what you like or you would suggest? Um, off the top I, of your head, I'm trying to
0: think. I am a fan of a good old classic candle, and for my altar, I mm. like to invest in like a higher than average value candle, something that'll burn like bigger or longer or prettier or evenly because you know if you buy a dollar store candle it might not burn evenly Um, but I think you know I'm fine I love using dollar store candles for like uh especially with our student group like those rituals of course dollar store candle I have to do so many of we have to do so many of them and constantly (laughs) so I'm not gonna put that much money into it but I love A big to invest... old box
1: of $5 candles.
0: Exactly. But for like an altar, I might invest in something that has like a, a really unique smell. Like I might go for um, mm. something that is more closely on the mark for the the deity I'm working with. Um, so like I don't know if I can find one off the top of my head, but uh, like Njord's big as alfalfa. Um, so if I could find a candle that actually was scented with alfalfa. Or had pieces of it in it, you know those types of things. So I say invest in a really nice candle uh, that you won't have to replace, you know, every two days.
1: Yeah, I suggest also ritual vessels of some kind. Like I have a I have a drinking horn with the mm-hmm. triskelion on it, which is yes. I, I love it so much. And um, also, oh, just yes. a technical note: if my voice if my voice keeps changing, because I keep glancing over my shoulder at my altar. Um, <laughs> That's right. uh, But I think having something like a cup or a horn or a chalice or a wine glass or something like that is a really great way to do offerings, but also just to have that representation. I know some people like to have it around to represent water um, mm-hmm. on their altar. I don't ascribe to the four elements system myself, but if you do, that might be a great way to represent that on there. Oh, I yes. think it also just looks super freaking cool
0: <laughs> also on vessels uh, for some safety considerations uh, having something that is fireproof amazing yeah, because... yeah. <laughs> so any of those flame retardant bowls metals um, little cast iron skillets those types of things things that will retain not distribute heat nor catch on fire as uh, an important consideration and then things to put out fire so again if you're using candles if you want to be all fancy a, a candle snuffer might be up your alley or just like a jar lid or um you know but something <laughs> in case of fire because you know we pagans like to put flammable things on altars and sometimes that backfires and the whole altar catches on fire so <laughs> yeah <laughs> fire safety
1: which um i would like to say we can both speak to this is uh, incense is pretty cool
0: oh yeah incense makes the mood i've always i'm an air sign so anything air element always uh captures the mood for me i love uh i love when you do a ritual and a nice breeze like kicks off as you call space or you call deities and you're like ah yes Goosebumps. it has begun <laughs> Yeah. Um, so incense really makes it for me Because it gives you a nice visual of like Oh, the wind changed, they're here
1: <laughs> Yeah, it gives you Nice, nice places to Really understand energy shifts As you as you do things mm-hmm.
0: Oh, final consideration, be mindful of the spaces You're in, if you're in a college dorm uh, You probably can't yeah. have candles So use electric candles Or, if you're in an apartment, you might not be able To have open flames so, Read your releases and your rules of the places you are practicing in—that's a side thing. Yeah, I've been yeah, almost is, kicked out important. of spaces for uh, doing
1: stuff. <laughs> so, just be mindful. That's that's, that's entirely fair. Uh, one other thing I would suggest is we talked we touched on it in terms of ancestral items, but also um, items that connect you in some way to where you want to be. So, like for. For my example, is my gods mostly hail, or their stories mostly hail from Ireland. So I have an Irish flag um, on my altar. I hope to add also a Scottish flag and a Welsh flag and a Manx flag to that. I just haven't purchased them yet. (laughs) But to not necessarily represent any feelings of nationalism or try to appropriate those identities that I don't have, but rather to connect myself to those stories which are part of the national myths of those countries and the geography in which those stories take place
0: yes so we hope you have enjoyed this very comprehensive and also entirely not enough uh, dive into this. we should revisit these topics like a year later and see what new things we've come up to yeah like a recap episode
1: idea that would be a great episode. that would be a great idea uh all right so, does that mean we're hopping on I think we should.
0: Uh, I, I have nothing else to add on to alters. Are there any last uh, pieces that you're like, yes, must talk about alters?
1: Neither do I. I mean, I could go on for hours, but I also <laughs> couldn't. So exactly. best, best to not make a fool of ourselves and, and move on to bitchcraft.
0: Yeah, now on to my favorite segment, because this is one of my decompression spaces of being able to complain about the things that irk me. Bitchcraft, what? Same. this is your topic this week, so... Hop on. Uh,
1: It is my topic, but it's one that you and I have both bitched about ad nauseum for the last last year and six months that we've known each other to deepening and deepening degrees. Um, (laughs) Actually, I remember we, we touched on it the first time we ever met. I actually made an appointment with you and we discussed, this is part of our discussion. Oh yes,
0: when I thought you were an undergrad student by accident because no students ever no adults or grad students ever contacted me, so I was like, student contacting me? must be undergrad.
1: (laughs) Well, it was a nice discovery, which we will go over perhaps next time in terms of our our origin stories. In any case, um, let's all have a chat about appropriation, y'all. (laughs) <laughs> it's especially timely. I mean, granted, it's a constant consideration. It's not like the current political climate has created this problem, but it's it, it's definitely time to address it. Um, mm-hmm. So we've, we've also talked about how we don't like to see the pagan paganism or witchcraft as a monolithic culture. It's not the same type of configuration as, say, Christianity as, as a not even a monolith in and of itself, but... Mm-hmm more of a shared identity. But um, how does one discuss appropriation in pagan culture? Because haichi mama. Let's um, start
0: with a definition because we're both academics in nature. Sure, Let's start sure. with a definition. <clears throat> um, I'm going to hit it. I want to hit it on the head because I think, uh, when we have conversations of appropriation, not between us, but just in like general spaces, people use too light of a definition for appropriation. They keep it too general. So let's let's hit it on the head. Appropriation, by its very nature, is a group with power in a situation taking from and adopting in a piece of a subordinate culture's practice play playing out. Power dynamic is really important in appropriation we don't talk about it enough, and it's the stealing and then adopting in that is really important, because it's basically stealing a piece of a culture and assimilating it in, and then acting as if it's always been a part of your stuff.
1: Yeah, I as an that... academic... I... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, I was just saying, I don't think people hit that on the head. They love to talk about well, it's no. just people stealing other pieces of you know, it's... Anybody can appropriate I'm like, it, I guess theoretically yes, but... The power dynamic is really important in appropriation. If your group has power over another group, those are the most likely cases of appropriation.
1: Yeah, I will cool. do the academic in addition <laughs> um, and deepen our deepen our thesis. In addition, not only are those power dynamics important and your definition is on point, nail on the head, um, going down into it further is the idea that appropriation is not only non-reciprocal, um, yep. It is not the same as cultural exchange. A cultural exchange is, is reciprocal uh, from groups of equal or pretty much equal power that are sharing information and sharing styles and ideas that become naturalized in both parties to varying degrees and enrich them rather than devalue them appropriation yep. devalues the culture it steals exchange enriches the cultures that are part of the exchange
0: yeah and i think it will also be helpful because we're talking about general pagan appropriation we should be more direct with uh, the groups of pagans we are actually referring about because pagan is not a monolith so we have to be specific so what what's that who are we talking about
1: it's it's white paganism
0: Yep, it really is white europeans or european ancestry paganism yeah
1: we would like to make it clear though that we're not saying that we are not involved in this process of of appropriationism and systemic racism we as white people contribute to it too and so these are sort of things that we're discussing both as bitches uh, bitching and as something that we're trying to hold ourselves accountable to so we're more making it something that we want to see in ourselves and our community and that we are putting to you in our curmudgeonly fashion that we also want to see better in ourselves
0: yeah so if you ever have uh points of contention or things that you hear in our podcast please let us know email us tag us on our social media obviously that is not your responsibility but if you want if you are able to and would like to take the time and the labor to send us a message letting us know that something we did was problematic or that we could learn a thing or two we are 100 percent open to that type of critique and community because that's the only way we're going to get better we are not experts and we don't pretend to be
1: i mean we 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 tend to do pronouncement because that's the space we live in but we're trying not to say that we're the best at everything in these cases. We're absolutely not. Yeah. So a great example that we were discussing before we recorded the episode was the practice of smudging, which is widespread not only in paganism, but you can't see my air quotes, but new age culture, (laughs) Um, which in its origin comes from groups of indigenous peoples. I cannot name individual groups. That is a point of ignorance on my part, but it does come from specific North American indigenous people's ritual and spiritual practices that have been wholesale stolen and commercialized by w- white people. Yep. And thus not only dev- it, 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 it devalues the practice, it covers up its origins and actual meaning. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that we get to own. There yep. are plenty of alternatives. I love the practice of shaming, although I haven't really done much of it because it's still new to me. Um, it's a Scottish based practice. Mm-hmm. but w- there are alternatives. so that is a great example. Do you have other specific examples?
0: Uh, oh my God, I can't even think. Uh, to me that's the the biggest one uh, just because it's the most prevalent. I don't have any other off the top of my head. I'm a little unprepared in that <laughs> regard, but that's I and I think one of the other things that's really important about uh, because I can we don't get comments so i can't see it literally but i could i if we got comments i could already see a, a you know conversation happening um about well you know everybody does herbal cleansings you know and that's true lots of communities lots of cultures use herbal cleansings and they might do it the exact same way for all intents and pur- for all intents and purposes it might be the exact same way same methods um but in it's the naming of smudging is the important part, at least for me, uh, the fact that they want to pull that specific phrasing, that specific naming of the practice when it could just be herbal cleansing in general. Like you could just literally call it herbal cleansing and you cut not all the appropriation. It's a deep, deep conversation and a deep unlearning, but you could cut a good chunk of the appropriation by just stop saying smudging and stop saying and using white sage. Like, Easy, easy thing, easy fix. But still, people are like, "No, my In you sense, know, everyone doesn't." all,
1: does all it. kinds <laughs> can work exactly. Um, but, but also another thing that we should name and talk about that's important are um, drum circles and rhythmic practices.
0: Oh yeah,
1: that they shouldn't be done, but let let's it's, let's, it's let's think about it.
0: Yeah, I've had this. Uh, it's irked me, uh, and I haven't. I don't know exactly what to do about it but specifically in the in the groups that we've or at least i've been a part of there's always one specific practice that comes from i believe hoodoo and voodoo and other um caribbean based uh, traditions it's like a specific drum beat that they love to use at all the gatherings and every time i'm like could we not? But, you know, I don't, I'm not sure of the specific origin. It could come from a specific mentor someone had in the community. You know, yada, yada, yada. There might be some trace. But it's still, it, it bugs me. <laughs> it bugs me.
1: Yeah, the 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 use of of drums in a way that is very specifically modeled on and appropriative of West African practices mm-hmm. is a big thing. And it's really problematic and incredibly racist. Oh yeah, and, and it, again, something we should we should name.
0: It, yeah, and it leads back to the simple and frustrating fact that all this could be fixed with a simple exploration of your own cultural heritage. Yeah. You know, again, big so Eastern Europe. Much,
1: <laughs> so much drums in Ireland, in, in like there's so many, so many drum practices that hail from Ireland and Scotland, for example. Yeah, and in
0: Eastern Boom. Europe, drums are are there. They're not a super big part. <laughs> Oddly enough, more mouth harps are a big thing, and also flute-based uh, practices, which follow similar beats. Like, yes, it's not as cool and as uh, you know friendly or intuitive as uh, hitting a drum, but you know you could pick up a wind flute in Eastern Europe, a konkovka, um, from. Uh, Slovakia or the, you know, Eastern part of Europe and hit out the same beats. Like the, the musical practice are the same. And it's a, such a simple thing you could do. Just look into your cultural heritage and find the beats that are from your past or make new ones. Like you just don't have to take other people's shit. It's so easy. Some people don't get it.
1: Yeah. And also to recognize where there are boundaries. For example, if something is a closed practice, don't mess with it. So, for example, if you're white and you have not been given an invitation or are working with a mentor who has accepted you, don't be, don't be doing Hodun or Vodun or any Caribbean practice because you shouldn't be. Very yeah. clearly. Like, no, no, no bones about it. If you are not invited in, don't do it because it's not yours to do. Nor yeah. any part of it. As yours to do, including the deities. They are not your deities. Don't do it. Yeah, and again,
0: it, people. I can also again, if we had comments, I could see it. Someone being like, "Well, I was called," and like, "Cool, if you were amazing, I can't tell you how to experience your religious experiences, but if you're called, make the proper connections, reach out to the community, at talk to an elder or a practitioner and explain your situation." You'll probably find that most people are nice people. Will give you a straight answer. Might not be the answer you want to hear, but will give you a kind and gentle answer. And you might get your way in and have you know your experience be the experience you always dreamed it would be. And you might not, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. ask. Also, the fact that I I always. Again, I can't say I I can't tell you how to experience your religious experiences, but I'm always super skeptical when a white person is like, yes, this insert uh, African or Caribbean or like Egyptian deity has reached out to me. And I'm like, really, they're reaching out to you, the people that have enslaved their descendants. Like, really, really, (laughs) you really think that's happening here? (laughs) Yeah.
1: I, I absolutely agree with you about, Skeptical. you know, those Suspish. things. I say Egy- Egyptian and slash call them Kemetic. deities live in a weird liminal space because the That's people who, they, who were part of that culture no longer exist. And the people who worshipped them were like they became part of Greek and Roman beliefs, which That's did true. include white people. However you should look at the history surrounding that. Not only the ancient history, but the modern history that surrounds it. Um, And also, if you're going to deal with them, especially the ones, the the Babylonian, the Canaanite, the Semitic, the Egyptian, if you're going to deal with them, represent them as the people themselves represented them. Isis is a wonderful goddess. Not someone I've worked with personally, but her stories lead me to believe that, and people who I've met who work with her believe me, she's a great goddess. She's not white. They were a brown-skinned people. So <laughs> be aware of that aspect of of the belief and it doesn't and it doesn't mean 1 equals 2. For example, our students when I was doing our leading our Immulk, right, saw breed as not a white woman and that is entirely legitimate. But because of considerations of power and privilege now, you should be willing as a white person to represent gods of not white people in ways that those people represented them. So Breed can be a black woman, but Isis should be a brown woman. That is my approach.
0: Amen to that. I agree wholeheartedly with that, because I think that's a question of social bias. like. We can't say for certain whether ISIS coming to you as a white woman is true to the religious experience. But if we're taking into account social dynamics, your upbringing as a white person, it's a strong, and I say strong, likelihood that her appearance is colored by your implicit biases as a white person. Strong consideration that that's what's happening. I can't say for certain because, again, can't tell you your religious experience, but strongly consider that
1: so putting a pin in that is take your religious experience as you will it's entirely personalized but also balance that with the with privilege and social dynamics that absolutely do exist and how your religious experience can in the can in the wider world affect people's livelihoods because Mm -hmm. systemic racism is a thing and so your contributions (laughs) to that no matter how valid your religious experience are something to keep in mind
0: yep yep also do your damn research (laughs) <laughs> do your damn research and keep ev- i mean it's my personal opinion but i think you should the first off when you're getting into new practices or new experiences is you should always go from a personal uh historical approach so it should be from your family's history first you shouldn't be reaching out into other people's cultures the first time out you should always be following your family tree until you know other things pop up
1: and that doesn't necessarily mean blood family that can be people have found families or you could be adopted from a different culture that can mean that you follow either the tree of your bloodline or the tree of your family in terms of just who is your family but follow up that 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 heritage heritage is cultural so follow up that heritage amen
0: and it's so easy no excuses pagans especially White Pagans, specifically White Pagans. Never mind, white Pagans, no more excuses. You want to be in community with me, and I can't speak for Colin, but I think Colin might agree with this. If you want to be in community with us, that's the game you got to play. You got to do your research, be respectful, and know your impact. No more excuses. And this,
1: and, and I, I would say, I don't know if you agree with this, Ian, but I would say I'm not asking you to do – hours and hours of research you don't have to become an expert in comparative religion no. we're just asking for for forward momentum just a little bit of research goes a long way a and Google continuing search. to learn c- continuing to learn is the real is the real key so if you are doing something that you don't know is appropriative and someone from another culture or say you're at a festival and a person of color goes like what the hell mate you be willing to learn be willing to own it and be willing to grow mm-hmm it's 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 it the the journey will never end but you nope. need to start taking steps on it and that's something i struggle with i'm not going to claim that oh, i yeah. am above and beyond anyone who's listening but what we're what we're asking for is people to start taking steps on those journeys and we also want to hold ourselves accountable in doing the same
0: yes a man it's <laughs> it's about impact it's about intent to do the work we're not asking again yeah we're not asking for hours of research it's simple google search and there are practices that you'll never you might not know until 20 years down the line was appropriative because you know it just was presented as a matter of fact but it
1: happens
0: you undo you learn you grow you move forward amen
1: absolutely
0: <laughs> so i'm going to take off of the... my
1: pointy bitchcraft hat. <laughs> That's one of
0: those times, though, that I wanted to be like, "Can I get an amen?" And then <laughs> everyone just, you know, chants it back. <laughs> we need to find a pagan version of that. Like, uh,
1: can I get a, uh, can I get a blessed B? I don't know. That's what I was thinking. Can I get a blessed B? Although, to be accountable in ourselves, perhaps we should word it differently or have a different intent because that true. seems slightly, slightly appropriative of, 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 um, of Afrocentric Christianity.
0: True, true, true. Yeah, we'll we'll work on that. There's got to be some call and responses that we can come up with.
1: Oh, I'm sure we will. We just may not use that one.
0: Yes. Amen. All right. (laughs) Taking off the pointy (laughs) bitchcraft. That brings us to the end of our uh, 5th July episode. Woot, woot. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. We've got our crown of the
1: month yet. Oh, yes.
0: Crown of the month. I was ahead on my notes. Whoops.
1: (laughs) That's okay. See, we're organic. Which means we don't like to edit as much as other podcasts, so we leave the mistakes in.
0: It feels authentic.
1: <laughs> it does feel authentic. I prefer it. In any also, case, takes less time. We're talking about our Crone of the Month, and Ian. I know that I will probably be telling the story, but I would like you to introduce why we chose this particular deity as our Crone of the Month. So uh,
0: we've. Uh, I feel like we've uh, hit this uh, way too many times. Of summer is not our peak. Uh, activity <laughs> uh, month as crones, especially winter centric uh, crones. <laughs> so, I thought long and hard about what do I want my summer to feel like, especially amidst you know coronavirus and all of these like stifling pressures and the rampant destruction of American society. What do I want my summer to look like? And I wanted it to look like a crazy man in a cave who just uh, throws prophecies at you and you know randomly decides to uh, you know pop into your life and make you a king. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so that is a great description a great summary for for and Wicht Um most people would know him as Merlin. Uh, I I w- would I would say. Uh and Wicht is a, a Welsh deity. I put a I put like a question mark in brackets on that one because when it comes to Welsh mythology, deity versus non-deity is definitely not a clear line. Um yeah. But, Magical entity. So there are a couple different stories, but the the basics that we're going for is basically what Ian said of of Mr. Wicht, who is a pagan prophet slash deity who is Merlin of the Wild, hence the name, Merthen Merlin Wicht, Wild. Um and who lives in a cave in the middle of the woods, who will spout prophecies at you and tell you your future except in very vague terms so what you think might happen may not happen who does magic and is a shapeshifter and also will every once in a while just hop on in to make people you know the humble strong and the strong humble uh so so the the crone aspect i think we're going for is just living entirely in a liminal space not only just being liminal by virtue of being liminal or because of your situation choosing to actively be an agent of liminal chaos
0: yeah just because again because fuck it that's why
1: exactly and the understanding that you know what nature is messy so why not be messy and why not pop up as a crazy old man that like is like guess what kid you're a king or guess what king you're an idiot (laughs) Uh, yes (laughs) And and just and just and just being chaos druid, and I say chaos druid in the liminal sense, not as in doing chaos magic. I, I have a whole other personal bitchcraft when it comes to chaos magic, but we're gonna set that aside. Um, so if you want to be a crazy old person in a cave, that's some high crone energy. I can do nothing but say, bless, God's bless, <laughs> God's live blessed. your best life, because being a crazy old crone in a cave is some. <laughs> wonderful aspirations that I don't think I'll ever live up to.
0: (laughs) So here's to you, Mirthin doing, living your best life that only we wish we could live with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Go, go find your cave folks and be crazy in it. (laughs) That's what we all want. I think in the end.
0: All right. Now we've officially come to the end of our episode. Officially. Officially, so here, indeed. Here we are. Um, once again, you can always provide us uh, feedback um, by commenting on our social media posts, by sending us an email at cronesporch, cronesporch uh, at gmail.com. Um, let us know what you think, topics you want us to discuss, comments you want us to read, anonymous or not. Um, if you're a sponsor, I don't think we'll ever get sponsors until we actually turn it on. <laughs> but if any <laughs> uh, small businesses or cool people are just like, yes, promote me you know we'll make deals they don't have to be monetary we're about spreading the wealth (laughs) absolutely
1: if you would like to have content that you want to share you have ideas you want to see on the show go for that as well hey do you want to be on the show that's always a possibility we'd love to do interviews or guest stars so you know throwing that out there if you want to try
0: yeah, so follow us on social media at cronesporch, C-R-O-N-E-S-P-O-R-C-H at Instagram and at cronesingular, C-R-O-N-E porch uh, on Facebook. And uh, I think we're birthing a YouTube channel because we want to be able to produce some um, various video content here and there. So that'll probably be cronesporch or Crohn Porch at YouTube. So feel free to search that eventually.
1: <laughs> Indeed. And if you... um. And if you would like to, you know, just get in and see what we're doing on social media, we're trying to liven things up on there and get a con- conversations going. So we'd love to have people on the ground floor for that. And if you have any um, uh, uh, media or material you'd like to post to our, uh, our social media, we would love to have people contribute. So feel free to do that or contact us and let us know some ideas you have. Hell
0: yeah. Um, Now in uh, pagan news, (laughs) and today's weather, some of that. Yeah. (laughs) Um... yeah next week we're actually going to be recording i don't think it'll get up i'm i'm gonna give us the grace period of that (laughs) i don't think it'll be up next week but next week we are recording our lunasta special which we are going to be playing some video games because we can't be in competition in person with each other so we're gonna play some online video games together while we talk about lose nasda and our love for not competition competition because i'm not competitive
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely co-op
0: competition (laughs)
1: That'll be that'll be um, a great experience, and you'll get to learn more about Lunasa. Um, yeah,
0: so that'll be uh, it'll be a podcast. It'll be a recorded podcast, so that'll come out on where you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, etc. But it'll also hopefully be on a YouTube channel, so you can actually see the video games that we're playing and not just uh, hear us talk about it. <laughs>
1: Ab- absolutely, um, and the only other news I have is to you know keep updated on your local um, pandemic uh resources it's just becoming increasingly difficult um because of 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 the political situation and keep your eyes and ears open for opportunities to contribute to making a positive impact so you know even if it's just giving five bucks to black lives matters or it's going out there and protesting or just giving someone a shoulder to cry on if they need it just keep your eyes and ears open for um opportunities Mm -hmm. uh i will say one i will put it
0: in the description more specifically i have to dig it out of my instagram feed but uh, i believe chicago uh, black lives matter groups are seeking funds to purchase some bicycles for their um workers in the movement who do police negotiations or manage, um, police interactions to be able to bike between locations. And that is a direct action that you can actually be funding right now. I will look up the Twitter handle. They have a a Venmo handle that you can, or a cash app uh, account that you can immediately send donations to. And we'll put that in the description.
1: And I would also um, encourage everyone to write their local elected representatives or if you are living in another country to look up and write representatives um, of the city of Portland so that we can try to shut down secret policing that is being done by the federal government in, um, in defiance of local officials and communities that want them out of the city. So we should really be doing at least something to really crack down on this flagrant, abusive power. It's tyrannical and as pagans, and as we stated before, we fight tyranny, that's our job.
0: Amen, blessed be. So mote it be, there's one. <laughs> so mode it be. <laughs> all right,
1: well, this has been fun. I don't think there's any other big announcements that we have, right, that's it? No, not really, that's it. I just suggest everyone, if you haven't listened to all the episodes, go back and do that, um, keep in touch with us, Get to know us. We're happy to talk to people or at the very least, I am, so message us at any time. And, you know, just take care of each other. Continue to practice.
0: Continue to practice, take care of each other, and use your practice to take care of each other. Send out a lovely prayer over whatever channels you use. (laughs) You know, reach out to each other, sometimes through the ether. Thoughts,
1: prayers, and actions.
0: Yes, yes, blessed be. (laughs) So we will see you Hopefully for Lunasa somewhere around next week. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll see you for our <laughs> August episode. So uh, I will say dos vedania,
1: And I will say shlan, And we will see you next
0: time on the Crone's Porch. Goodbye. Goodbye.